0: And welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, reading today from Spurgeon's Sermons on Sovereignty. We are talking about effectual calling today, illustrated by the call of Abram, or Abraham, delivered November 29, 1868, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle of Newington in London, England. They went forth to go into the land of Canaan, And into the land of Canaan they came, Genesis 7, 5. If you desire to know the character of a child, you'll probably learn much about it from observing the father. The young bird flies and sings as its father did before it. If we would know the life of the child of faith, we should study the history of the father of the faithful. Abraham, uh, the man of faith, is a type of all believing men, and the narrative of his life, if rightly considered, is the mirror of the history of all the saints of God. The commencement of his career of faith, when he first became separated from his own country and and went into the land of Canaan, is a most instructive representation of our effectual calling when we are, by a work of omnipotent grace, separated from the world, And made to obey the great precept, come ye out from among them, be ye separate, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. The life of the believer is as Abraham's was, a a separated life. A life regulated by other affections than those which arise from the, the relationships of flesh and blood. A life of walking in the unseen, in which God's command, presence, and approval are paramount considerations, and faith guides the soul, sitting like a pilot at the helm of the vessel. Abram denied the flesh, took up the cross, went without the camp, became sanctified unto the Lord, and lived and died the friend of God and a stranger among men. The commencement of his separated life is a lively picture of the commencement of the same life in ourselves. The calling of Abram is a representation of our calling, and to that matter I shall ask your earnest attention this morning. First, effectual calling is illustrated in the call of Abram. We've been reading the whole of the story, and therefore I shall only need to refresh your memories with it. Read carefully the last verses of chapter 11 and all of chapter 12 and get the thread of the story. Abram's call was, in the first place, the result of the sovereign grace of God. The world as a whole was lying in heathenism. Men had gradually gone astray from the one God to the worship of graven images. Here and there there might be an exception, as in the case of a Job or a Melchizedek, but thick darkness covered the people. God determined that he would select one family, which should afterwards grow into a distinct nation, to be the conservators of the true faith. Why he selected Abram, he himself only knows, for we know that Terah. The father of Abram had declined into the worship of false gods. Yes, your fathers, Joshua tells us in his 24th chapter and 2nd verse, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old times. Even Terah, the father of Abram and the father of Nahor, they served other gods. That family, if not quite so corrupt as the rest of mankind, had at any rate become corrupted. And we find the teraphs in the, in the house of Laban, their descendant, that is, the, the household gods. Yet the sovereign grace of God pitched upon the household of Terah, and out of that favored family, the Lord of hosts made a divine selection of the person of Abram. Why, I say again, why remains in the inscrutable purposes of God. A thing unrevealed to us, though doubtless the choice was made by the Lord for the wisest and most godlike reasons. Abram was a man with faults, a man also with many virtues, you reply. Yes, but those virtues given to him of God's spirit, and they were not the cause of his election, but the result thereof. He is an instance of the sovereignty of God, carrying out the divine declaration, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. The prophets often spoke of Abraham as though the Lord's mercy to him was a matter to be admired, and they by no means ascribed his favored position to any personal merit in the patriarch. Look, said Isaiah. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence you were digged. Look unto Abraham your father, and unto Sarah that bare you. <coughs> For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. Here he is compared, as it were, to a, a quarry or to a pit out of which the nation was digged. And to this pit they are bidden to look as to a sight that will humble them. Consequently, I gather, not to the merit of their fathers, but to the grace of God. And again, Assyrian, ready to perish, was your father. Called Assyrian as if to show that by nature he was as others. And as the Syrians were idolaters, even was he. Assyrian ready to perish, and by which I understand not perishing with physical hunger or disease, but through spiritual darkness and declension from the true God, ready to perish, and yet the eternal mercy looked on him and saved him. Yes, whether men will accept it or not, that truth stands fast forever, that whom he did foreknow, he also did Predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Effectual calling in all cases follows the eternal purpose. Predestination, according to the divine good pleasure, is the wellhead of all the covenant blessings which the believer enjoys. Never had ye felt the guilt of sin, nor sweets of pardoning love, unless your worthless names had been enrolled to life above. The call of Abram in the next place was divinely applied and enforced. We neither read that an angel called him, nor a prophet, nor that that he came out of Ur of the Chaldees by the motion of his own mind spontaneously. The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham, says Stephen in his dying address, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. There was made to his mind a remarkable revelation of the existence and the character of the one, only, true God. And then, after he had been enlightened, so that he knew in his inmost soul the existence and glory of Jehovah, the message came, perhaps in audible sounds, perhaps by a forcible impression upon his mind, get thee out hence from thy kindred and from thy father's house. Now, mark that in every gracious call by which a man is truly saved, the call comes immediately from God himself. Agents are generally used. Uh, The minister speaks. The book becomes a living light. The providence is a warning which is not misunderstood. But neither minister, nor book, nor providence can call a man effectually apart from the direct manifestation of the divine power in the heart of each individual. Ah, my brethren, we may labor after souls, But until God puts his hand to the work, nothing is done. Our calls to dead souls leave them still in their sleep, but the voice of Jesus brings Lazarus out of the tomb. I would have you who are listeners to the truth never be satisfied with the use of the means merely. Look to the God of the means. Ask him to reveal his arm and the power of his grace in you. And O oh, never be content with that which only penetrates to the outward ear, or abides upon a merely verbal memory, but ask that it may go into the heart and abide in the innermost spirit through the effectual working of God the Holy Ghost. Christ in you is the power of God, but there must be an inward receiving of Him by the Holy Spirit, or all will be in vain. There must be a supernatural work, or you cannot be saved. Much as I wish to preach a free salvation, I cannot forget that you must be born again, and no man can come to Christ except the Father draw him. Mere nature, at its best, falls short of eternal life. Its bow is is too weak to shoot to the mark, its puny arm too feeble to work so divine a change. Effectual calling, then, springs from the divine purpose and is wrought by the divine energy. Dear hearers, be this your prayer to the Lord, who alone can save you, and I quote, With softening pity look, and melt my hardness down, Strike with thy love's resistless stroke and break this heart of stone. In the case of Abram, again, the call was personal and it grew more personal as it proceeded. At first, when Abram was called in Ur of the Chaldees, he probably thought that he could persuade Terah, his father, and the rest of the family to accompany him. And he appears to have prevailed To a degree, for they went as far as Karan, but there, for reasons not known, the family stopped for a long time. How frequently is it so with us? When God begins to work in our souls, we would fain have others go with us, and we are led perhaps ourselves to make a kind of compromise with them to stop halfway if they'll come halfway. We vainly conceive that we may bring all of them to feel and act as we do, whereas if the effectual call does not come to them as it does to us, there must be a division. Love may wish otherwise, but carnal nature and the renewed spirit cannot agree. The Lord has set a difference, and we must still expect to see him take one of a city and two of a family and and bring them to Zion while others refuse to come. After a while, the message came to Abram again, get thee out from thy king kindred, not with thy kindred, and from thy father's house. And so Abram this time is obliged to leave Haran, the halting place, and to push forward resolutely, finally for Canaan. Beloved, You and I, if ever we are to be the Lord's, must have a distinct personal call. All the hearing of the gospel in which I listen for other people and am but one of a crowd comes to nothing. But when I hearken for myself and the truth comes home to me, describing my case, revealing my misery, inspiring my desire, and kindling my hope, then it is that it becomes the power of God unto salvation to my spirit. Oh, dear hearer, I beseech you, individualize yourself. Put yourself, even in this great throng, into a mental solitude, and let the voice of God come to you, even to you, like the bean dropped into the hole in the earth, which the husbandman has dibbled on purpose for it, that there it may swell and germinate and bring forth fruit. Nothing but a direct, distinct, personal call coming home to heart and conscience will be of any avail. This call to Abram was a call for separation. The separation must have been exceedingly painful to him, for it was so complete. Get thee out of thy country. Expatriate! Thyself, Be an alien, a stranger, and a foreigner. Get thee out from thy kindred. Let the ties of nature yield to the ties of grace. Form new relations and yield to bonds that are not of the flesh. Get thee from thy father's house, from the place of comfort and rest, the place of heirship and affection. Acknowledge another father and seek another house. Get thee unto a land that I will show thee, which thou couldst not find of thyself, but which I must reveal to thee. Observe, then, the effectual call. Wherever it comes to a man, it is a a separating sword, cutting him off from old associations. It makes him feel that this world is not his country. He lives in it as a stranger lives in a foreign land. He is in the world, but he is not of it. For the apostle saith, Our citizenship is in heaven. We become citizens of another city and are aliens in these cities of earth. For Christ's sake, the Christian man is henceforth obliged to be separated in many respects from such of his family and kindred as remain in their sins. their living according to the flesh, they are seeking this world. Their pleasure is here. Their comfort below the skies. The man who is called by grace lives in the same house, but lives not under the influence of the same motives. Nor is he ruled by the same desires. He is so different from others that very soon they find him out. And as Ishmael mocked Isaac, so the sons of the world mock at the children of the resurrection. The call of grace, the the more it is heard, the more it completes the separation. At first, with some believers, they only go part of the way in non-conformity to the world. They are only partly conformed to Jesus Christ's image, partly led out of worldly influences. Indeed, this is the case with most of us. But as we ripen in the things of God, our decision for God becomes more complete. Our obedience to the law of Christ becomes more perfect. And there is a greater division set between us and the world. I wish that all Christians would believe this great truth and carry it out that you are not of the world, even as Christ was not of the world. To try to be a worldly Christian or Christian for a christian worldling is to attempt an impossible thing you cannot serve god and mammon if god be god serve him and if baal be god serve him which is the true and the right give your heart to it but attempt no compromises the very essence of the christian faith is separatedness from the world and not the separation of the monastic life. We are neither monks nor nuns, nor would God have us so be. Jesus Christ was a man among men, eating and drinking as others did, professing no asceticism, never separating himself from the rest of mankind, but a man among men to perfection. And yet, how separate from sinners was he? As distinct from all others, as though He had been an angel amongst a troop of devils. So must you and I be. Go ye to the farm and to the merchandise, uh, to the family and to the mart. But with all your minglings with mankind, still mingle not in their principles, nor yield obedience to the demon that rules them. I pray not, says our Lord, that thou wouldst take them out of the world but that thou wouldst keep them from the evil. Being kept from the evil, you will be carrying out spiritually what Abram did literally. You'll be coming out from your kindred and your father's house under the influence of the effectual call. The call of Abram was made effectual in his heart and will, and I call your attention for a minute to his obedience thereto. It was an obedience which involved, in his case, great sacrifice. It must have been hard to tear himself away from his kinsfolk. At first, indeed, it seemed to have been too hard for him, for he stopped with his father Terah till his father died at Haran. Brethren, it is no child's play to be a Christian. If any man love father or mother more than me, saith Christ, he is not worthy of me. In many cases, the greatest foes to religion are our best friends. Many a man has found his soul's worst enemy lying in his bosom. Many a child has found that the father who nourished its body has done his best to destroy its soul. A man's foes shall be they of his own household, saith Christ. But no relationship is to stand in the way of our obedience to Christ. The fondest connection must sooner be severed than we must give up the faithfulness of our loyalty to our great Lord and King. Take heed that you form no new association which may take you aside from him. Be warned, Christian men and women, against being unequally yoked together with unbelievers, either in marriage or in any form of partnership for it will bring you grievous sorrow. Let none but those who are in the favor of God be in your favor. And as you would not wish to be separated eternally from the Beloved of your bosom, take care that you do not begin a union with those who are already separate from Jesus Christ your Lord. But if, being converted, you find yourself in connection and relationship with the ungodly, as may be very probably the case, love them. Love them more than ever you did. Be kinder than ever, more affectionate than ever, that so you may win them, but never to please them submit yourself to sin, nor pollute the chastity of your heart, which belongs to Christ alone. Whatever it may cost you, if you are truly called by grace, come out and leave all behind. Sing with Jane Taylor, ye tempting sweets forbear, Ye dearest idols fall, My love ye must not share, Jesus shall have it all, Though painful and acute the smart, His love can heal the bleeding heart. It must have required in Abram's case much faith to be so obedient. He set out to find a land which he had never seen. He is only told in which way to steer, and God will show him where it is. Recollect that in those olden times, a journey such as Abram took was a much more formidable thing than now. Those venerable men were rooted to the soil in which they grew. We can make a journey to America or Australia and think but little of it, But even our grandfathers thought it a most awful thing to go out of the country in which they lived and looked upon it as going to the moon, if any talked of emigrating to a foreign country. The further back you go, you will discover a greater tenacity in men holding them to the family root tree. Well, Abraham must be unrooted. At more than 70 years of age, he must become an emigrant. He might have asked what sort of country, but he did not. It's enough for him that God appoints the journey, and away the pilgrim goes. And So, beloved, we must always unhesitatingly follow the guidance of our Heavenly Father. If we're called by divine grace, we shall have abundant need to exercise faith. If you could understand the dealings of God with you, if everything went smoothly, If in all respects you prospered as the result of your religion, you might fear that you are not in the track of the people of God, for their track is marked with tribulations. It is through much tribulation that they inherit the kingdom. But if it requires all the faith that you can summon and more, yet still hold on, for the promise of God will justify itself in the long run. If God bids thee do a thing, Though it should seem to be the greatest folly conceivable, yet do thou it, and the wisdom of God will glorify itself in thine experience. Amen. We will finish this message next time we get together. Thank you so much that you could share with me now. Do come back. When you have time, would you look over the North Korea audios and the works of other great men of God on this site? Would you... Uh, Click on store to see the books that are available to you. Would you go to cries from among us and read the blog? Would you go to YouTube and just type in Bob from Hackberry House? So we can get together in a lot of different ways. You might even, men, want to share with us a meeting every Saturday night at 7 o'clock Central Time. And uh, if you want to do that, just send me an email about your testimony, a little bit of it. I'll send you an invitation where you can link to our Zoom meeting. You'll have to look up Zoom information on your own. Well, This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we get to talk again real soon. Bye-bye.